for people who've given up on church but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our locations in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. Thanks! Very good. I'm Michael Flake. Uh, They call me the lead pastor of Lake Forest Davidson. It's very good to be here with you. If I can't be at Lake Forest Davidson, I'd love to get to be at Lake Forest Westlake, mainly because I'm in a... This is like old times, you know? You live in Davidson and you move over here. It's beautiful. It's all good. It's all good. It is fun to be here. And um, as Aaron said... There, I have two favorite kinds of people in the world. I, uh, the first is people who come to the 11 o'clock service on Fall Back Sunday. And the other is people who come to the 9.30 service on Spring Forward Sunday. It's like there's one thing I know how to do and I'm going to keep doing it. So well done to each of you. My wife says that if there were more uh, parents with young children in Congress, we would have gotten rid of this thing a long time ago. <laughs> Having a 14-month-old at home... I completely agree uh, with that with that sentiment. Folks have asked how our daughter's doing, Indiana. Uh, you may remember I came here last summer and preached and uh, shared that she had uh, she just had open heart surgery, and a lot of folks were praying for her. And uh, she's doing very well. She's a happy, boisterous little fourteen month old now. So all very good. We really appreciate your prayers for her and. Um, uh, you know, it's not all roses. The, uh, we still get to make some 2 a.m. ER visits here or there, but uh, the trend lines are all in the right direction. So thank you very much for your prayers for her, and, uh, and we'll, we will continue the adventure with her one, one day at a time. Uh, and then I guess last week, Holly Worsley was here and preached, and you can all tell I, she preaches at Davidson a lot, and she's trying to put me out of a job. <laughs> And that's great. Uh, you know, the fewer keys on my key ring, the happier I am. So she did excellently. I'm going to continue in that vein, in that vein today. Um, before I do, I, every time I come, I, I get reminiscent because we started Lake Forest Davidson in 2011. So you guys are like two and a half years younger than us. And uh, so you guys would be four, four and a half, four-ish, four plus. That's awesome. So, so, um, I, so I was reflecting on that, and uh, I don't know how you guys have experienced this. this is your first time. This is just uh, family chat around the dinner table before the sermon. Uh, but uh, what I remember about being about this old as a church was, in the early days, we were always concerned about could we get the stuff, could we get the what's to happen, right? Like, will the chairs get set out this week? Uh, will the kids' areas get set up this week? Do we have any greeters this week? You know, those were our concerns in the early days. Somewhere around year three, four, five, we started to become more confident that the what's were going to happen week in and week out. In fact, some of us had been doing the what's for four years. We were pretty good at them. And, and what we had to challenge ourselves to do at that point was uh, to remember that church is not about what's. Church is about why. Like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing the what's? So I'm not going to answer the why question today for you. I just uh, encourage you, actually the series after Easter will answer a lot of the why questions, but uh, just to be thinking, not just so that what are the what's we do as a church, but why do we do those what's? What's the why? Does that make sense? That's what we really started to, had to focus on the further in we got. 
Take it for what it's worth. Free advice is only as good as what you pay for it. Today we're going to study Mark chapter 5 in this series we call Running on Empty. Mark chapter 5 verses 1 to 10. I'm going to read it from the screen around the speaker. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. So we're going to look at this encounter in our Lenten series called Running on Empty. We're looking at encounters that Jesus had with people who were running on empty. There are a lot of these in the Bible. We've picked out a handful, moments where Jesus would meet people at their point of need. As Aaron said, Lent refers to the 40 days preceding Easter, a time when many Christians reflect on our own points of need, our personal points of need, our collective points of need as a community, as a country, as humanity. What we often realize is that there are places in our lives where we are running on empty. My prayer for us this series is that we might encounter Jesus, whether for the first time or in a new way. We would encounter Jesus in our needs and in our emptiness. And thus we might be able to help other people, even in their needs, even in their emptiness, to encounter Jesus. So I'm just going to start this morning with kind of a deep end question that there's no real like, uh, you know how in, in the South you kind of like build up with pleasantries or whatever and then you kind of sneak your hard question in there with a lot of sh- uh, syrup and sugar on it. I'm not going to do that. Here's my kind of deep end question to start. What has been a really difficult part of your life over the past few years? Again, just right into it. What has been a really difficult part of your life over the past few years? A place in your life where you have hit your limits. A place in your life where you've realized you cannot be and do all that you need to be and do. Or maybe it's a place of dysfunction that the rest of your life is kind of contorting around. What's been a really hard place in life for you? My next question. What would happen... If Jesus Christ started to significantly change that area of your life, what would happen if Jesus Christ started to significantly change that area of your life? What if Jesus started to transform that area of life in a good way? What if Jesus started to bring some healing into it? What if he brought some redemption into it? What if he started to redeem that area of life? What would you do? Our initial response is often, I would love it. That would be great. And in reality, the answer is usually more complicated than that. 
In John chapter 5, Jesus asked a man a very pointed question. He asked the man, do you want to get well? Because Jesus is saying he has all the power to heal the hurting places in our lives, the power to heal the broken places in our lives. Yet Jesus also points out that there is part of us, maybe even a large part of us, that doesn't always want that healing. So we're going to explore this theme a little bit deeper today through that Mark 5 passage. So here's the point. Here's the purpose. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through the Mark 5 passage. So that on the back end of it, we can compare the demon-possessed man to the townspeople. And then we will compare the demon-possessed man to Jesus' disciples. All right? Walk through it so we can compare the demon-possessed man to the townspeople and then the Jesus' disciples. That's what we're going to do. Verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Now, one thing you will learn as a pastor is that if you pronounce biblical words with confidence, most people think you know how to pronounce them. (laughs) To save me pronouncing this word differently every time I say it, I'm going to call it G-Town. So Jesus and his disciples are in a boat. They head over to G-Town. When they arrive, a man runs out to meet Jesus. What do we know about this man? The chief thing we know about this man is that he is possessed by a demon. And because of this, we learn in verse 4, he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him day and night among the tombs and in the hills. He would cry out and cut himself with stones. So when I lived in uptown Charlotte, I had a condo and it overlooked a historic cemetery. And in the historic cemetery, there were jogging trails through the cemetery. Can I tell you one thing I never did? (laughs) I just don't want to spend my leisure time uh, in a cemetery. But when I sold the place, I listed it as Overlook's Beautiful Stone Sculptures. (laughs) That's not true. But this man did enjoy spending his free time in the cemetery. That's where he lived. That's where he spent his time, out among the dead. He would run around. He would run around with no clothes on. He would scream. He would shriek. He would cut himself with rocks. The local people had gotten tired of all this, and so they chained him up. Likely out there in the tombs, they chained him up, and he had broken the chains. Verse 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. Don't you imagine over the years, this man had learned that if you run at people, they will run away? And so he starts running at Jesus. And Jesus stands firm. Jesus does not run away. And this demon-possessed man who lived out of the tombs and had shackles on his wrist falls at the feet of Jesus. For all his troubles, and they are many, he is finally at the one place he needs to be, which is at the feet of Jesus. And I love this image because I don't know about you, but if I had gone to a place that I had never been to before and I saw a man running around without clothes on, screaming, carrying a sharp object, injuring himself, the remnant of this chain dangling off of his wrist, I don't think I would have walked up to him. 
And if he started running at me, I certainly don't think I would have stood firm. And we see something different in Jesus. That Jesus is not scared of the hard places. In fact, Jesus walks right into them. Jesus is not scared of the hard places. He's not scared of the hard places in my life. He's not scared of the hard places in your life. He's not scared of the dark places in our lives. He's not frightened by the dysfunction that we have come to call standard operating procedure. Jesus walks right into the midst of what's really not going very well. So that you and I can fall at his feet So that our problems, though they are many, we can be in the one place we truly need to be, which is at the feet of Jesus. In verse 9, Jesus asked him, what is your name? I take this as a very humanizing moment. As Jesus trying to snap our attention and snap his attention back to reality, that the man in the tombs is not a monster, the man in the tombs is a man. He is a human being. He is deeply loved by God. The passage continues. He says, my name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Now let's unpack this. We're about to get somewhere. The man says his name is Legion. Because there are a bunch of demons that have possessed him over the years. And then comes the most fascinating part. He begs Jesus repeatedly not to send them out of the area. This begs the question, who is them? This is always a good question to ask. Who is them? Who is they? I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but someone will come up to you and say, I was talking to them and they are not happy. Well, who is they? Who is them? Because as you probably know, nine times out of ten, it's the person sharing the concern plus one other person who was probably cornered by that person about five minutes earlier. So who is them? Who is they? Jesus, he asked Jesus to not send them out of the area. Them refers to the demons. So the man who calls himself a legion does not want Jesus to send the demons away. What? He's worried about what he will have left if the demons are sent away. What would you have left, legion? You wouldn't run around screaming. You wouldn't get chained up by the townspeople. Your life wouldn't be controlled by demonic forces. You'd have a whole new life, a better life. But his initial reaction is that demon possession is all that he has known. This recalls Jesus' question. Do you want to get well? A man whose life is being destroyed by demons begs Jesus not to get rid of the demons. What's the equivalent of that for you? A person being destroyed by pride begs Jesus to keep boosting his or her ego. A person being destroyed by an addiction begs Jesus for any other option than recovery. A person destroyed by their rebellion against God begs Jesus to stay away at arm's length. 
Do we truly want to get well? What will happen when Jesus starts to bring his healing, his transformation, his redemption into these hard places? Will we hold on to all that what we know, even if it's very destructive? Or are we open to something different? This is how the story concludes. This is what I didn't read earlier. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. So we see here the demons recognize the authority of Jesus. They say, send us into those pigs. Jesus says, okay. Then, and then the pigs all run off the hillside and drown in a lake. And I just imagine being somebody just fishing at this lake. Just watching this whole thing play out. And thinking, this is the craziest day in G-Town ever. Verse 14. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. Sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. So the people of the town are amazed and they are afraid. They realize they are standing in the presence of someone who can change lives. They never thought they'd see anything like this. Because what was one of the major problems in G-Town? Well, it was this man. It does not help the quality of life in your community when you have a demon-possessed man running around threatening people. And so they had done all they could to manage and to contain the issue. They had chained him up, but he had broken those chains. They were starting to run out of options. And then along came Jesus. And Jesus brought real healing into the situation. He set the man's life in a new direction. His biggest issue and G-Town's biggest issue got solved in the same moment. So you would think the mayor of G-Town would come out with a key to the city and present it to Jesus and say, this is Jesus Appreciation Day. Here's what actually happened in verse 17. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. What? (laughs) Jesus just brought healing into the situation of their region. Now, it did get a little messy when the pigs ran off the cliff. Jesus' solution was messier than the the town people's containment strategy. It was also far more life-giving and better long-term, Jesus' solution. And so what do the townspeople do? They plead with Jesus to leave. This account is starting to uncover something about being human. Something about human nature, about our willingness to hold tightly onto bad predicaments, our willingness to hold tightly onto severe dysfunction, because it's at least dysfunction that we know. We adjust our pain threshold so that what is painful feels comfortable and what would bring healing begins to feel painful. Verse 18. 
That would be my summary of what had happened in G-Town. In the Gerasenes, what was painful had become comfortable, and what would bring healing felt painful. Now, I suppose we could make fun of them for doing this, except that we do the same thing. So that's why I asked the question, if Jesus really started to bring healing and transformation into that hard place in life, what would be your reaction? What would be my reaction? The answer is a little trickier than we might think because many of us have become comfortable with what is really painful. And we are pained by what would be truly transformative. And there is hope. There is hope. There is always hope. There is boundless hope. Verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, that's his region, in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. And this is a beautiful picture of redemption. Now, to to help you see the picture of redemption in this man's life, we're going to now do the comparison. Comparison to the townspeople and then comparison to Jesus' disciples. So let's start with the townspeople. Though both initially resist Jesus' healing work, the man in the tombs winds up receiving it while the townspeople reject it. The man decides to live for Jesus. The townspeople tell Jesus to leave. So it's Jesus doing the work. You and I need a transformation in our lives that we cannot give to ourselves. So we need that transformation to come from Jesus. But here is the decision we face. Do we want to receive the healing work of Jesus in? Do we want to receive the work that Jesus is doing? Or do we want to reject it? Simply stated, do we want Jesus in or do we want Jesus out? And so as you think about the hard situations that you face... Do you want Jesus in or do you want Jesus out? Now think carefully before you answer that question. Before you give the good church, and you're sitting here in this gym, you can't help but give a good church answer. Do you want Jesus in or do you want Jesus out? Think carefully about the answer. Because if Jesus is in, it might get messy. If Jesus is in, it just might get messy. It might be messier than your contain and maintain strategy that you're working on right now. Because Jesus will be in control. So the contain and maintain strategy may go out the window. Things may get messy. They may also get transformed. Now this leads to the comparison between the man and Jesus' official disciples. Now, you may say at this point, Michael, Jesus' official disciples were nowhere in the passage you just read. And that's what I thought too. But look back at verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat. 
It says, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes when Jesus got out of the boat. We are back to this age-old question, who is they? Who is them? So you read back to the verses right before this in Mark chapter 4, and you realize they refers to Jesus and his disciples. So the disciples are in the story. And unless Mark got sloppy with his pronouns, where are they? They are in the boat. They saw the man running around without clothes on and screaming, and they said, no thank you. (laughs) And so Jesus gets out of the boat. Jesus starts walking towards him, and they stay in the boat. I guess thinking if the guy got too close, they'd start to paddle out and leave Jesus in G-Town. Because they're sitting there looking, we're only five chapters into this thing. We don't have a lot of sunk cost in this whole Jesus thing yet. So they're going to leave Jesus in G-Town and paddle back to their side of the lake. So then at the end of the encounter, what does the formerly demon-possessed man want to do? He wants to get in the boat. And Jesus says, no. Jesus says, don't get in this boat. I don't need anybody else in this boat. I'm trying to get the people in this boat out of this boat. (laughs) So Jesus tells the man, go tell people what God has done for you. And that's exactly what the man does. The man in the tomb spreads the message of, and this is the quote from the story, how much the Lord has done for him. The demon-possessed man, formerly demon-possessed man, shares the message of how much the Lord has done for him. And the disciples stay in the boat. This is the difference between spreading and containing. This is the difference of people who see life following Jesus as about spreading, spreading his joy, spreading his love, spreading his peace, spreading his message, his his truth and his grace to a world around us, being willing to say how good the Lord has been to us versus those who see life following Jesus as a matter of containment. Get into a boat and look out at a world that looks dangerous and say, well, thank goodness I'm in this boat. Jesus says at the end of the passage, I don't need any more of my followers in this boat. I need more of my followers out of this boat. Being willing to spread the message that nobody is too far from God. You are not too far from God. I am living proof of that, that Jesus Christ can transform any life, no matter how messed up it is. This is redemption. This is how God redeems, that Jesus redeems us by transforming our lives, even the tough situations transforming our lives and making us his messengers to tell others what he has done and is doing in our lives. In other words, you don't have to be invincible. You don't have to know everything about the Bible. Jesus told the man to share what the Lord had done for him. Didn't ask him to be invincible. Didn't ask him to be an expert. Said, share what the Lord has done for you. There's something refreshing when a person can say, my life is not perfect. It's not even close. 
but I'm moving in a new direction, a good direction, the right direction. And it's following Jesus that has made all the difference. So here's my wrap-up question for you. As you think about a tough situation in your life, what could Jesus' redemption look like? What could Jesus' redemption look like? And how might you learn from the example of the man in the tombs? Because in this story, if you follow it carefully, the capital H hero of the passage is Jesus. But who's like the second level hero? Who's the the lowercase h hero? It's the guy in the tombs. He did not have a PhD. He likely had no access to the Bible. And yet he is remembered as a hero in what it means to follow Jesus. I guess my point in all this is saying, I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know the depths of the hardship that you face today. But you are not a lost cause. You are just a hero in waiting. Your situation is not a lost cause. It is a redemption story in the making. The difference is Jesus. And where you and I need to be is at the feet of Jesus. So let's do that. Let's pray together.